0: So 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 17 through 19. And for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And I would like to stop right there. Now, Paul goes on and he asks some questions. Where is the wise and where is the scribe and where is the disputer of this world? Hath God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? And, uh, and, and, and on down a little further, the Jews seek a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. And so Paul is not just making uh, you know, a, a, an attack on one hand or another. Um, He's actually addressing a specific issue that is going on. And now that verse of Scripture that he quoted there in the 19th verse where he says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. That's where I would like to focus this morning, is on that verse of Scripture. Because a very specific thing is involved with that verse of scripture and that making the wisdom of the wise uh, brought to nothing and the, and the and under and, and and to nothing the understanding of the prudent so uh, that 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 whole thought and concept uh, really is encapsulated around uh, the 29th chapter of the book of Isaiah and, uh, and I would like to spend the bulk of our time in the 29th chapter of the book of Isaiah. And it starts out, woe unto Ariel. And, and that's the correct pronunciation. Uh, we would look at it and say Ariel, right? Uh, like the little mermaid. Uh, we would look at it and say Ariel. Um, but woe to Ariel. And, and Ariel is a symbolic name for Jerusalem. And so Jesus, uh, well, God here uh, through the prophet uh, Isaiah is looking at Jerusalem, and he's pronouncing a woe, right? Woe unto Ariel, and Ariel means the lion of Judah or the lioness of Judah. And now, since it's a city, I would be more, uh, I would be more inclined to uh, use, usually use. the lioness of Judah, but it's, that's what the word means, the lion of Judah or the lioness of Judah. And, uh, and so here he says, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. And, and so that's how you know it's Jerusalem. Add ye year to year, and let them kill sacrifices. Yet will I distress Ariel, and there shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be unto me as Ariel." And I'll camp, and I will camp against thee round about, and I will lay siege against thee with a mount. Now look at that. Isn't that interesting that God is pronouncing a woe to Jerusalem? And then verse 3, he says, I'm going to lay a siege against Jerusalem, and I'm going to raise forts against Jerusalem, and I'm going to bring down Jerusalem in the fourth verse, and thou shalt be brought down and speak out of the ground, and thy speech shall be low out of the dust, and thy voice shall be as of one that hath a familiar spirit out of the ground, and thy speech shall whisper out of the dust. Moreover, the multitudes of thy strangers shall be like small dust. In other words, those that are going to come in, they're going to be so many uh, that it's going to be like a flood coming into the city. And the multitude of the terrible ones shall be as the chaff that passes away. Yea, it shall be at an instant suddenly. That's the way judgment always comes from God, isn't it? at an instant suddenly. You're not prepared for it, uh, because if you were, you would have done things to avoid it. Uh, but being found worthy of that judgment. It always comes upon you suddenly. When you read about the judgment falling upon the antediluvian world, uh, 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 Noah, uh, while he was preparing the ark, proclaimed righteousness the entire time. Uh, And then the day that he entered in the ark, God closed the door and it started to rain. The moment the first drop fell, judgment had been declared. And in an instant, it rained and rained, and rained. Forty days and forty nights were the waters upon the face of the earth, and everything that wasn't in the ark was destroyed, and the earth was created anew. Likewise in the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, when Abraham had negotiated with God, starting with 50 and working his way down to 10, if there's 10 righteous people in that city, I will spare it. And the angels of God goes into Nineveh, or, or not Nineveh, goes into... Um, Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, and there in Sodom and Gomorrah, they go to the the house of Lot, uh, and uh, and the and the inhabitants of that city uh, take notice of those two uh, angels of God that had came to visit Lot, and and they had come to him, uh, and they wanted them, Uh, and the Bible says that they wanted to know them, and that means they wanted to know them sexually, and uh, and and. And he uh, and he fought against it, and the angels of God uh, struck them with a blindness. And they gave Lot a commandment, and they said, "Get out of this city, you and your house." And Lot and his daughters and his wife they left, and uh, and they t- they gave them a commandment. They said, "Once you leave, never look back. For if you look back, you'll become a pillar of salt." And we know what Lot's wife did; she looked back. And I've thought about that. Why would they tell what not to look back? It's because God's people don't rejoice in the destruction of the wicked, and they don't even get to pri- they're not even privy to see it. <laughs> when we think about the day of judgment, the righteous will be judged and will be taken into everlasting joy. Before the wicked are judged, aren't they? First, he says to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father. Then he says to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed. And so that that judgment of God is not something that is a prolonged event. It happens quickly, doesn't it? Once it finally happens, but what did he say he was going to do first? He says, "I'm going to lay siege to it, and it's going to be a an innumerable host that will lay siege against it." We oftentimes read scriptures and say God's army is a righteous is is an army of righteous individuals that He raises up. We should never say that we know exactly and we shouldn't ever get to a point where we think we know God more than what we actually think we do. And I want to touch on why I said that. Verse 6 he says this, he says thou shalt be visited of the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and with great noise and with storm and tempest and a flame of devouring fire. And you say, well, those are all things that we generally think of, isn't it, when we think of Judgment Day. There'll be an earthquake, earthquakes in diverse places, if we go and read the book of Matthew. Peter tells us that the earth will be destroyed with the fervent heat in that day. This is not the great white throne of judgment at the end of time that we're reading about here, though. Because he continues on in the seventh verse, he says, And a multitude of nations that fight against Ariel... Even all that fight against her and her munition, all that distress her, and shall as a, a dream of a night vision, or shall be as a dream of a night vision. Meaning, those that are going to go in there are going to have great. They're going to have great ideas of all the spoils that they're going to take of having taken the city but they're going to be disappointed because they're not going to receive any of those spoils. They're going to be likened to, if we look at the next verse, they're going to be likened to a hungry man who has a dream about eating, but when he wakes up, he's still hungry. Or a thirsty man who has a dream about a refreshing drink of water, but he wakes up and his thirst is still there. Uh, and, uh, uh, and he says, And behold, his, 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 he is faint, and his soul hath appetite. And so shall shall the multitudes of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. And then the prophet says, Stay yourselves. He's saying, Pause. Take a minute. In reluctance, take a minute. And then he says, In wonder. And this is to be amazed, don't get me un-wrong. This, is, this this wondering is an amazement, but it's an amazement for all the wrong reasons, right? Because they're in a lot of consternation and angst about what's going on around them. They're there in the city and they're besieged and they have all of this going on and they wonder to themselves what's happening here. What Jerusalem's being destroyed (laughs) that's what Isaiah's prophesying it's the destruction of Jerusalem and we know the time period because it's not the time period of the Babylonians because if we look at what's going to happen afterward he says stay yourselves and wonder now this is where we want to really get into it. Cry ye out and cry. Now if you get into that what that word means. What that word means is really that you're blind. So another way of looking at that section of that verse there is blind yourselves and be blind. In Romans chapter 11, verse 7, Paul wrote this. He said, When, when then uh, Israel hath not obtained that which she seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blind. Or blinded. And what were they blinded by? The same thing that blinds us today, isn't it? Our insatiable desire for pleasure, (laughs) and carnal carnal things. It's no different. Uh, There's a saying that history repeats itself, and uh, and those that don't study history are doomed to repeat it. And and I agree with that in very large measure, but I don't know that it it repeats itself explicitly. I, I prefer to think of it more as history rhymes. It rhymes, and he says, "This blindness that you're in, you're going to be like one that's drunken, though, but you, but you haven't, uh, you haven't drunk any wine, and you're going to stagger, but you haven't drank any strong drink. Uh, but the reason they appear as drunken and as blind is because the Lord hath poured out upon you a deep sleep." And he's closed your eyes. close the eyes of the prophets and the rulers and the seers hath he covered and I think that we see that and we can see exactly what Amos was writing about when he wrote in the 8th chapter of Amos in the 11th and the 12th verse behold the days come saith the Lord that I will send a famine in the land now I would say this that when we read about that siege that took place against Israel against Jerusalem here uh, they had uh, put put together a blockade against the city, and uh, there's a lot of different ways to go about warfare, isn't there? Uh, you can you can go the route of where you just rush in and, uh, and you try to overwhelm the enemy, uh, but it, here what they did is they they in, instilled a blockade and they decided to starve them out. And to cause them to be at their weakest before they went in to take the city. And when they went in to take the city, they went in and thundered into the city, their chariots rolling, and, uh, and burned the city, and destroyed the temple. So they had a famine in the land, literally then. But Jesus is, or God is, prophesying of another famine. uh, And Amos talks about this, and he says, "But I will send a famine into the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord." And that's the famine that causes all of this, is because they got so far away from God uh, that they they did not hear anymore. Thus saith the Lord. And Isaiah says that God closed the eyes. The prophets and the rulers and the seers hath He covered. And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed. Not a book that is sealed with seven seals, but one book that is sealed. And I believe Isaiah is talking about his own book. Because so much of the prophecy of Isaiah dealt with that. It dealt with the birth of Jesus Christ and the ending of, uh, and the the destruction of Jerusalem. And as we look back and we think about what he says here about Jerusalem, uh, back up in the third verse when he says, And I will camp about thee and lay a siege against thee, uh, and and thou shalt be brought down. We're going to touch on this here in just a minute. Uh, But the Lord looks over Jerusalem and weeps, doesn't he? And he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that sownest the prophets and killest them that are sent unto thee, how I would have gathered you like a hen doth gather her chicks. But thou would not. Amos says this of that famine... Not of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Of bread and water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. It says, and they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. And they shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Shall not find it. In the 11th verse of the 29th chapter, it says this. And the vision of, uh, of all is becoming to you as the words of a book that is sealed. And I think, I think Isaiah is talking about his own book here, his own scroll. Which men deliver to one that is learned. They deliver to one of the book. <laughs> they deliver to somebody who should be able to tell you what's in the book, Right? And the response of him is saying, and they take it to him and they say, "Read this, meaning read it now, uh, and and teach us from this book." I pray thee, and he saith, "I cannot, for it is sealed." And so he uh, uh, he takes an excuse that he can't read this book of this prophecy, uh, and uh, and he's going to juxtapose this with somebody who is unlearned, uh, and he says this in the twelfth chapter or a twelfth verse. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I am not learned, which is an honest statement, isn't it? and it shows that the former statement wasn't unlearned not that he couldn't open it he could open it but he couldn't read it and understand it he's just like the eunuch that Philip ran into in Acts chapter 8 verse 31 when he asked him do you know what you read and he said how can can I except some man should guide me what that really means is how can I except some man should teach me and he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him and where he was studying was in the 61st verse of the book of Isaiah. If we go to the day that Jesus was there uh, in... Uh in the synagogue uh, in Jesus stood up before the synagogue to read out of the book of Isaiah uh, he says this in Luke chapter 4 verses 18 through 21 the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind to set them at liberty that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down Jesus opened the book didn't he <laughs> he read it and he sat down and all the eyes of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began to say to them this day is this is this scripture fulfilled in your ear in your ears this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears And so we're going to touch on this here in just a minute. We'll get back to 1 Corinthians. There's a lot happening here in this chapter in Isaiah. And I don't know that I've ever heard anybody talk about this chapter very much in my time. Wherefore the Lord said this is back in verse 13 of Isaiah 29 wherefore the Lord said for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips to honor me uh, but have removed their heart far from me that's what Jesus said of the Pharisees didn't he That's what he said of the Pharisees We'll go even further And their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. What does he mean there? Well, if you go over to Matthew chapter 15, you'll read about an interaction that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And they were talking about upholding the commandments. And Jesus says in verse 7, he says, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Do you notice what he said there in that last ninth verse? He said, But in vain they do worship me. He said, I'm God, (laughs) and you worship me in vain because you worship me predicated upon the commandments of men. We talked about the law this morning and the commandments of God, but Jesus gave us another one, didn't he? Now is commanded all men everywhere to what? Repent. And I'm going to finish up in the 29th verse of Isaiah here in just a second. And therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. And so there's that verse of Scripture that Paul's using in 1 Corinthians. So why is he using it that way? I want to touch on this as it pertains to Jesus and it pertains to the gospel and it pertains to the message of the gospel. And, uh, and and then we'll finish up with the verse, chapter twenty nine of Isaiah, on the seventeenth verse. Here, is it not a very little while? and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field. In other words, he's saying Lebanon is basically an untilled field right now, uh, with with evil trees growing in it, with evil fruit. Uh, but here he says uh, that in a little while, Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest. He's talking about the Gentile world here in this verse of Scripture and the gospel going out to the Gentile world after what has happened in Jerusalem. And so here, we'll go back over and we read about this interaction that Paul has in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, and verse 17 where he starts with saying, Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel. Uh, I, I hear a lot of preachers a lot of times get hung up on the fact that they don't baptize a lot. Well, you didn't... When I got called to preach, I didn't get called to baptize. I got called to preach. Now we pray that God's word goes forth and it does that which is accomplished, that we will be able to baptize those into the fellowship of the church because they've been saved. Uh, but, uh, but the job that you're called to do as a preacher is to preach the word, preach the gospel. And not with wisdom of words. You see, they had fallen into a trap there in the Corinthian church, hadn't they? It, it was really the same trap that they had fallen into in Israel in those days, and that is, they were following men, weren't they, <laughs> instead of following God? And we see that that's exactly what's happening, because Paul touches on that. In the twelfth, twelfth uh, verse of First Corinthians, he says, "And now this I say that every one of you saith that I am of Paul, and I am of, of Apollos, and I of Cephas, which is Peter, and I of Christ." And Paul asks the question: Is Christ divided? No, Christ is not divided. I believe it's a Paul planted. Or is it Apollos planted and Paul watered? But if there's an increase, God gives the increase, doesn't he? God gives the increase. God gives the increase. There's a warning being given here, isn't it? (laughs) Don't follow men. Don't worship men. We worship God. We follow God. We do what God has for us to do. And that's what he's telling us to do here. And, and he touches on uh, what caused the destruction of Israel as an example for why they needed to not fall into this error. Follow the gospel. Follow those traditions that are based in the gospel. And anything else, let it go. Let it go. We preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Nothing more and nothing less. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. There's none good, no not one. Our very nature is to be the enemies of God and Jesus says that we must because of that be born again Born from above, born by the Spirit of God. Not from the wisdom of words, but from the sincerity and the preaching of the gospel of the cross of Christ. Because he paid the debt, didn't he, that we couldn't pay. He paid for our sin debt. He, he, he was the one who suffered the death on the cross. It is unto the Jews foolish uh, a stumbling block and it is unto the Greeks foolishness. And the Greeks really can be the Gentiles, right? You can replace Greek with Gentile. And, uh, and so you see the whole world still looks at it that way. But unto them that are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser, is wiser than men. And uh, and so we look at that and we think about the preaching of the cross and how necessary it is. Because we have to kind of have, it requires an understanding of what was necessary for us to be saved, wouldn't it? It was necessary. If we were going to be saved, we had to understand that we were guilty before God. And if we're going to be guilty before God, then God had to have a way to reconcile us to himself. Uh, But we had to also understand that we're accountable to God. And and so here today, uh, Jesus Christ is the only way that we have access to God. The Father is through the Son. And so we preach to Jesus Christ. We preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because there's no other way whereby we can approach God the throne of grace is there but through Jesus and in Jesus and so if you're here today and you don't know the lord you have to know him before it's too late the fate that we talked about there in isaiah 29 that fate will eventually fall upon the whole world and there's no going back from that moment there is no rebuilding <laughs> At least in terms of men, how men can rebuild. God says, I'll have a new heaven and a new earth. But that's a work of God. It's not a work of men. And so we we want to look forward and we want to push forward and we want to worship God in sincerity and truth. God's a spirit. and it's how he des- desires to be worshipped, in, in, in spirit and in truth. And so here this morning, let's worship God. And let's give God the praise for everything that he's done. He had to end one so that he could establish another didn't he? And you know what's what's amazing is those that were excluded under the under the first are included under the under under that which came afterward and those that were before they were also included weren't they? and Jesus and that's why Paul says that he hath made of twain, meaning Jew and Gentile one new man and within the body and the confines of the church, the war that existed between them ceases to exist, doesn't it? There's no war in God's kingdom, or there shouldn't be. And so that's, that's our message this morning. Uh, let's, 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 let's point the world to, a lot, to, to Jesus Christ. The world's dying. <laughs> the world's dying, maybe at a quicker pace than it ever has at any point in time in, uh, in history. But I would say that sometimes that can be a bit of a hyperbolic statement. But the world's dying nonetheless, whether it's slow or fast, the world's dying. And, uh, and it needs to be pointed to the only Redeemer that the world has, and that's Christ Jesus. He's the one who died on the, on the cross of Calvary so that we could be saved. Paul says that the cross of Christ, that the preaching of the cross of Christ is the power of God. And so we want to see God's power demonstrated, don't we? We need, to, we need to praise the preaching of the gospel. We need to find joy in it, don't we? Uh, and rejoice in it. I'll close with this. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and when we think back about years gone by, and people think about um, those uh, old saints that have gone on, and they think about how services used to be, When they came to church they came to church because they were excited to hear the gospel (laughs) even if they were saved especially if they were saved they desired to hear it didn't they they had a hunger and a thirst for it that's where we got to get back to it doesn't matter who the preacher is as long as he's preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified the doctrines matter the teachings matter, they do, absolutely. You can be led astray with the doctrines and teachings, but the most preeminent thing is that Jesus Christ be preached. And Paul said, whether it's in truth or in sincerity, or whether it's in pretense it's preached, I will always rejoice at the preaching of Jesus Christ. And that's what we should do today. we got revival coming up, and if we're going to be revived... <laughs> We're only going to be revived if we find a reason to rejoice in the preaching of the gospel. And so that's our sermon this morning. I hope it's uh, of a benefit. Brother Williams, if you've got a song.